This is the Be God's Light podcast with Ben Greenbaum and Mark Elsesser. This year in 2024, we're diving into the Old Testament to look at how God has been at work from the very beginning and to make connections with the New Testament and the life of Jesus as well. And we are now into the end, close to the end of the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 34. And for this topic today, we don't have Ben with me, but I have my lovely wife, Lisa. Hello. Welcome, Lisa. It's really an honor to be able to do this with you, especially to be able to take such a hard topic as today that we are doing. It's a difficult topic that we're looking at. So you yeah, you stepped right in and said you'd do this difficult topic with me. So thank you. Yes, this topic is probably not rated for children. So if you have children in your presence, you might want to consider listening to this at a different time. I would say it's rated PG-13. Um, it's very raw. It contains lust and rape and murder and a lot of sensitive things that um, we deal with in America, well, in our culture. But um, it is, they're as old as, what you say, as old as the sun? Yeah, they're, they're really, they, <laughs> something like that. They, um, the, these topics are, have been around forever. One of the things I love about the Old Testament is it doesn't pull any punches. You know, the, the Old Testament, well, the Bible, the whole Bible, really lays out like real life and the difficult, the hard parts of it. The heroes of the Bible or the people in the Bible aren't glossed over to make them perfect at all. And, and the heart of the story is, is Jacob that we'll hear, and he gets renamed Israel, and the, the nation's named after him, that our faith comes from him, yet he's flawed. So there's a, some difficult stuff that we want to deal with today. You want to open us in prayer, Lisa, as we start? I would love to. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this time where we can be listening to this podcast and be considering how we can become better in our lives through your works that you have planned for our lives. As we deal with these topics of lust and rape and murder, I pray for those people who have had family or themselves that have been done wrong to, and I pray that you would give them healing and forgiveness. The the topics that we deal with sometimes are rough and you know them, Lord, you know how mistreated we can be and how we mistreat others. And I ask your presence to be over this podcast, help Mark's words and my words to be appropriate that so that people can find hope in the midst of a story that's very tragic. And I honor you and pray for your wisdom. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. That's awesome. Well, we are in Genesis chapter 34, and our topic today is an interesting one, the, the approach we're going to take to it. Tell, tell us a little bit about um, this. this. This idea came from you for the topic. I think it's brilliant. A little bit about the topic as we look into it. We're, we're titling it, Who's to Blame? Because this is a very complicated story about a young girl. Uh, she has many, many brothers. As you know, there's the 12 tribes, and those tribes come from their brothers. But the whole story involves basically five units of people that um, 
all kind of contribute to the mess in this chapter. So Genesis 34, let's just get into it. Yeah, let's do that. Okay, Genesis chapter 34, verse 1 says, Now Dinah, the daughter Leah, had born to Jacob, went out to visit the women of the land. Verse 1 alone could just have been a, a standalone verse, but when you read the rest of it, it's a problematic verse. What do you see in there that stands out to you that we say we should at least pay attention to in the story? Well, I think Dinah was curious. She's at a new culture, and so she's taken some unsafe risks. Uh, she might be interested in seeing what the women are wearing, what the what the town is like, uh, what's all the glitz and glamour. But she she does some unsafe risks, and she kind of goes out of hoil on how to uh, appropriately go into the town. She doesn't have anyone um, accompanying her, and in those days, that was. Um, considered something she should have had. So I would say she was dabbling a little bit in the unforbidden, probably out of curiosity. Yeah, the couple things there, the, the phrase, the verb went out uh, is a Hebrew verb, and it's used a, a couple of other places for people who have kind of ventured into places of looseness or promiscuity. We can't tell for sure if that's what's going on here. And the phrase women of the land, it, the land in which they were living were land of the Canaanites. So it probably wasn't among the Hebrew people, the, the Israelites. So there was some risk that she was involved in venturing out away from her family, away from her brothers, away from her father, away from her people into, into town, you know, to see, kind of see what's going right. on, right? Right, and we're calling this who's to blame, but I am not putting the blame on Dinah. No, not a chance. Um, I think that sometimes we can be in dangerous situations and not know that we are in danger. Uh, So I'm not putting the blame on Dinah, but the question is, should she have been out? Um, Curiously, with looking at the women of the town and seeing what she could do or what she could see. That's very fair. I would say while while not putting the blame, we we do have a phrase that we've kind of come up with for each character. And it, it's not the full summary of them, but one of the phrases we're going to put for Dinah is that Dinah went where it wasn't safe. That doesn't blame her for the result of what happened, but it is an acknowledged part of the story that if she had been with all of her brothers or if she had been with her family and went with, with her father or stayed, with, that the story wouldn't have unfolded. doesn't blame her, but it is a recognition that it leads to the rest of the story. So Dinah went where it wasn't safe. Let's pick it up at verse two. There's somebody named Shechem, and he's part of the group of people who are in the land where she had ventured. It says, when Shechem, son of Hamor the Hivite, the ruler of that area, saw her, he took her and raped her. His heart was drawn to Dinah, of daughter of Jacob. He loved the young woman and spoke tenderly to her. And Shechem said to his father, Hamor, get me this girl as my wife. So the story gets ugly right away with Shechem violating this young uh, woman and then deciding he wanted her as a wife. What do you see going on here? Well, I see rape is a very serious problem. And I, I think this boy was spoiled. He was the son of the ruler of the area. 
So he probably had a little bit of entitlement. He was definitely impulsive. Uh, He didn't do things the correct way. Uh, He kind of is like, I want that, so I'm going to get it. And if I don't get it, I'm going to take it. And I want to win even if you lose. That's a really bad attitude. If I don't get my way, I'm just going to become a brat about it. And so I, I am not in favor of Shechem. I think, he's, um, I think he's awful. But I think what happened to him is also awful. So who to blame? Yes, he did everything out of order and definitely inappropriate. And he is to blame in this situation. But he's not the only one. What do you think? So you're saying that he um, obviously is, if he hadn't done his action, the rest of the story wouldn't have happened. Right. We, we know that. So he's at major fault, but there's probably more to the background mm-hmm. of him and his character than we would know. And of course, we don't know for sure. I mean, it's a little bit of psychoanalysis digging in and saying, well, his dad was the ruler, you know, so he was like the prince or whatever, and he took what he wanted. But so that's our phrase for him, that, that Shechem took what wasn't his. And when somebody takes what's not theirs, it's a problem. It's a problem for the person they're taking it from. And it's also a problem for them because it, it wasn't his to take. He, right. Dinah didn't offer her love to him. He took it and he raped her. And that's a problem, isn't it? Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm just going to talk from a woman's perspective. But, you know, we are, women are beautiful and we are wonderfully soft and gorgeous and kind and loving and sometimes that can be perceived as I want that from um, from a man. And so I think that uh, men need to be aware that we are made by God. We are precious to God and we are a child of God. We are someone's. We are someone's. Child, we're our father's child and we are our heavenly father's child. And so um, whether it's pornography or rape or sexual abuse, we, I would just encourage men to step up and say, this beautiful person is loved by God as much as I am loved by God. Dinah was somebody's daughter, which leads to the third person in the story, her actual father, Jacob. And verse five says this, when Jacob heard that his daughter Dinah had been defiled, his sons were in the fields with his livestock, so he did nothing about it until they came home. That verse is a standalone verse in the middle of the story, but it, it says a lot about Jacob and his, and his action or inaction, his relationship with his, his daughter and the people around him, and there's a, probably a lot in that. What stands out to you in this single verse about Jacob and what he did? I think that Jacob's past tells us that he's deceitful um, and that he, even though that he's chosen by God as a patriarch, and we have to understand that that's an important role. But in the past, he was deceitful. He, He was passive, letting his mother convince him to steal the birthright. So we've got we've got some issues here with him. Sometimes I think he's a get along kind of personality that sweeps things under the rug. So I think he had some passive parenting going on here and just wanted to avoid the whole conflict. 
I think from from Dinah's perspective, that her father did nothing about it, at least until the, the his sons, her brothers, got home. But he did nothing about it. It had to speak volumes to her, don't you think? That I mean, where's where's my dad to protect me and to 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 stand for me? I mean, he heard about it, so his, I'm guessing Dinah came home and told him, and and so he she spoke the words to him, and his inactivity was, I'm sure, very painful for her. Yes, I'm growing up, growing up in a home with an amazing father. Um, I always felt protected by my father. I remember one story where I was probably around 13 years of age. I had um, just started my period and my, I, you know, I was just kind of growing up, you know, how little girls grow up. And I went to sit on my dad's lap and my dad said to me, you're now a woman. You can't sit on my lap anymore. And at first I thought, oh, daddy doesn't love me. But what he was saying was, now that I'm a woman, I have to act appropriately to that. And that made me realize over time that my father loved me so much that he began to respect me as a woman and not a child. And, and then Mark growing, you know, being 40 years married to you, you have been such an honorable husband and father to our children. You would, you are protective and you don't, you don't sweep things under the rug and you, you know, you're not a passive parent when it comes to important things like how we treat each other. There are, there are hard things in life. I mean, through 40 years of marriage, I mean, life, life's not always easy. And so, and there are hard things with, um, with marriage and family and children and jobs and, and everything. There are hard things in life, but the, the right answer is not nothing. The right answer is not, doing nothing. And that's what Jacob chose in this case to do nothing. Remember, Jacob's the one who gets renamed Israel and Jacob is the one who becomes sort of the, the namesake for the entire nation. And, and out of that, our, our Christian faith. So he's not an all bad person, but in this case, he did nothing. And so the phrase we have for him is Jacob did nothing about it. So let's review that Dinah went where it wasn't safe. Shechem took what wasn't his. Jacob did nothing about it. And then it shifts to the other father, Hamor. He's the, the ruler of the land, who's the father of Shechem, who was the one who violated the young woman. Hamor is his name. And his, his story is told in some sections here. Let's begin with one of them. It's in verse 6. We're in, we're in Genesis 34, verse 6. Then Shechem's father Hamor went out to talk with Jacob, man to man. Meanwhile, Jacob's sons had come in from the fields as soon as they heard what had happened. They were shocked and furious because Shechem had done an outrageous thing in Israel by sleeping with Jacob's daughter, a thing that should not be done. What do you see in that, Lisa? Shock, fury of the brothers. They know what's right, but the word outrageous thing. I looked that up. The definition of outrageous is shockingly bad. Hmm. Uh, I think that's probably the best word we could use for this 
whole story. It's outrageous. And it was so outrageous. It hadn't been done in Israel. And, it, you know, just the wording. Could you read that whole, could you read that scripture again? That yeah, part? absolutely. Verse six, then Shechem's father Hamor went out to talk with Jacob. Meanwhile, Jacob's sons had come in from the fields as soon as they heard what had happened. They were shocked and furious because Shechem had done an outrageous thing in Israel by sleeping with Jacob's daughter, a thing that should not be done. Hmm. It's, it's powerful words that are there. The story goes on in verse 8, but Hamor, that's the, that's the father again, father of the, of the man who did it. Hamor said to them, my son Shechem has his heart set on your daughter. Please give her to him as his wife. And then he makes this broad proposal to all of Jacob's people, all the, the people. Intermarry with us. Give us your daughters and take our daughters for yourselves. You can settle among us. The land is open to you. Live in it. Trade in it. And acquire property in it. Now, now that's a deal. His son had raped somebody, and in order to work it out for his entitled son, it seems like, he's saying, we're just going to take this whole people and our whole people and intermingle with them and share the land with them, and, and everybody's going to get along. Yeah, and he lost no time in doing it. it it's crazy, but he's going to, hey, let's make a deal out of this. And this is not a deal to be made out of. This is something that should be addressed straight forth. And in doing that, he puts the entire area, the whole town, at risk. Of course, he doesn't know they're all going to get killed, but he does, he does put the whole town at risk because he wants to make it right for his son and kind of like still maintain that integrity and pride. But deep down, there's a root of evil that is swirling around this whole situation. So our phrase for him is that Hamor covered up bad behavior. He covered up the outrageous things that are done in Israel. <laughs> that's that's crazy, shocking, and furious, it and is, deceitful. It is. Ter- it's really a terrible part of the story. It, it goes on now. Shechem's back in the story. Shechem's the one who who did the violation. Then Shechem, verse eleven. Shechem said to Dinah's father and brothers, "Let me find favor in your eyes, and I will give you whatever you ask." Make the price for the bride and the gift I am to bring as great as you like, and I'll pay whatever you ask me. Only give me the young woman as my wife. This guy's desperate for her. I mean, he, <laughs> give he, her he to wants me. her. You I want be, her. <laughs> I will pay whatever you want to pay and make it a deal. So th- this whole thing is conspiring together. And poor Dinah, she's just off there like, isn't anybody going to stand up for me? Yeah, you, you have to to want think that that's what her thought is. Like, really, this is the result. The guy rapes me, and now you guys are going to work a deal, and 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 make make property exchanges and make family exchanges and r- arranged marriages and all this stuff. And that's the result of the violation that I experienced. It's, it had to be horrible. Yeah, we go back to the whole question: Who's to blame in this situation? You know, now we've got Hamar, the ruler of the area, and he's got bad judgment concerning all of this. So let's review. Dinah went out where it wasn't safe. Shechem took what wasn't his. Jacob did nothing about it. Hamar covered up the bad behavior. And then we get to the brothers. Oh, boy. Her brothers aren't 
thrilled about what is unfolding here. They are, matter of fact, they're mad at Shechem, the guy that did it. They're mad at Hamor, his father. They're mad at their dad. Jacob. These are the same brothers that sold their, their own brother, Joseph, into slavery. And then they lied to their father and said um, that he had died. Um, took his beautiful coat and dipped it in blood and dragged it over to the dad. And, oh, these brothers have a lot going on here. And, and yet they become the <laughs> patriarchs of the 12 tribes of they Israel. Do. So they that's, do. that's the thing about the Bible. It's like, yeah, people are, they don't, it just doesn't pull any punches. I mean, people are messed up. And, and yet here they are, warts and all, and yet God can use them. Yes. So let's, before all that, let's just look at this situation. It, it begins in verse 13, because their sister Dinah had been defiled, Jacob's sons replied deceitfully. It's interesting that word deceitfully, by the way, because the word Jacob means he deceives. So when, when Jacob was named Jacob, the, his, his actual name was the deceiver. And so his sons are carrying on the family tradition, it appears. Jacob's sons replied deceitfully, as they spoke to Shechem, the violator, and his father, Hamor, the ruler of the land, they said to them, we can't do such a thing. We can't give our sisters to a man who is not circumcised. Remember, this is the covenant of circumcision. The sign of the covenant of circumcision was for the Hebrew people, but they're using this in a deceitful way. They go on in verse 14, that would be a disgrace to us. We will enter into an agreement with you on one condition only, that you become like us by circumcising all your males. Then we will give you our daughters and take your daughters for ourselves. We'll settle among you and become one people with you. But if you will not agree to be circumcised, we'll take our sister and go. All of this, it would sound like it's a true negotiating piece, except for the word deceitfully was at the beginning of it. So you know they don't really mean it. They are premeditating murder. And I believe that in their hearts, they knew we're going to circumcise all these guys on one day. They're going to be in pain. And while they're in pain, we're going to um, destroy them. So this is very, very bad behavior, and it's all born out of hatred uh, and this feeling that they have to get back and take things into their own hands because their dad's not doing it, and Shechem's dad's not doing it, and Shechem needs to be punished. So they're just going to go out there and just raise all kinds of, well, raise all kinds of hell. <laughs> they're doing it. So verse 18, this pr their proposal seemed good to Hamor and his son Shechem, the young man who was the most honored of all his family, father's family, lost no time in doing what they said because he was delighted with Jacob's daughter. He still was in love with the woman he raped. So Hamor and his son Shechem went to the gate of their city to speak to the men of their city. These men, either talking to the, all the people of their city, these men are friendly toward us. Let them live in our land and trade in it. The land has plenty of room for them. We can marry their daughters and they can marry ours. But the men will agree to live with us as one people only on the condition 
that our males be circumcised as they themselves are, won't their livestock, their property, and all their other animals become ours? Hey, there's a benefit. Just, you know, get some skin cut off. So let us agree to their terms, and they will settle among us. Verse 24, all the men who went out of the city gate agreed with Hamor, the, the ruler of the land, and his son Shechem, the most favored son of the ruler of the land. And every male in the city was circumcised. Isn't it, isn't it crazy that, that all these guys from this whole community all said, oh, if that's what you want us to do, we'll just go through this surgery. Following <laughs> the, the leader, knife. the leader, the leader, following the leader, whatever he will do. It, doesn't it show you the power that this, this family had and that that might have been the problem with Shechem? They had this, he wanted whatever he wanted and they usually got it. And, it, and it, like, here he is again. He's convincing all these guys to do this that are full-grown adult males to, to do this activity. Well, it doesn't work out well. As we know, the brothers, they go in and they kill, well, two of the brothers, Simeon and Levi. They yeah, go read that in. for us, that section in verse 25, 29. Three days later, three days, that's an interesting number. While all of them were still in pain, Two of Jacob's sons, Simeon and Levi, that's the brothers, Dinah's brothers, took their swords and attacked the unsuspecting city, killing every male. They put Hamor and his son Shechem to the sword, they killed him, and took Dinah from Shechem's house and left. The sons of Jacob came upon the dead bodies and looted the city where their sister had been defiled. They seized their flocks, their herds, their donkeys, and everything else of theirs in the city and out in the fields. And they carried off all their wealth and all the women and all the children, and they took plunder. They took it all to their homes. And that is what they did. So our phrase for them is the brothers took matters into their own hands because the story has escalated from a horrible violation to inactivity to sweeping under the rug to mass murder. I mean, they're, they're, they're going and they're killing all of them. They're killing the, all these people who had nothing to do with it. I yeah. mean, other than maybe propping up this, this ruler and his son in a way that they, they shouldn't have, but don't, we often have rulers that we don't approve of their life, their lifestyle, or their words, or whatever else. And these guys just obediently allow themselves to be circumcised and are killed for it. I mean, the story just gets more and more ugly. Can you read the five different phrases? And then as Mark's reading those, can, can you as the listener, can you kind of put in your mind, and don't say anything to anybody else, but like, in your mind, who are you most like and which one do you most favor in these personalities? So yeah, could you read them we, again? Absolutely. Here we go. Dinah went where it wasn't safe. Shechem took what wasn't his. Jacob did nothing about it. Hamor 
covered up bad behavior. The brothers took matters into their own hands. As we are um, doing Genesis 34, and the title is Who's to Blame? We've forgotten one. And a lot of people, including myself, do this. We blame God. How many times have you blamed God when things in your life have gone awry? And there was something that the Lord gave me this morning as I was rereading this scripture before we came. Um, I was reminded that Jacob didn't pray. He didn't ask for God's help. No one in this whole chapter, we don't see anyone seeking God. We don't see anyone asking God for wisdom, asking for situations to help. And so as I was getting ready to come in, I told Mark, we're going to do a little switch around on this, but I, I just wanted to cover some of the, some of the people in the Bible when they did pray and I'm just, just a few of them, but Abraham, the forefather, uh, the number one patriarch, he he said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? Abraham prayed for a child. Abraham's servant, when he was picking a wife for Isaac, he prayed, Lord God of my master, Abraham, make me successful today and show kindness to my master, Abraham, by bringing a wife for his son, Isaac. Hezekiah prayed before the Lord. Abraham prayed for healing. Isaac prayed on behalf of his wife. Jacob prayed often. Moses prayed for help for people's sin. Moses prayed for his brother. Moses prayed on behalf of the people to not destroy them. Moses prayed a lot throughout the whole book of Exodus. Manoah, he prayed to God for help in raising a boy. Samson prayed for strength just one more time. Hannah prayed and wept because she didn't have a child. Eli prayed for Hannah to have a child. And David, as you know, prayed in the Bible through all the Psalms, and he prayed for counsel. Mm. And, you know, when we start blaming God, we need to ask ourselves, have we prayed about this? Have we asked God to intercede in the things that are tragic in our life? You know, sometimes life, is simply hard. And I think one of our tendencies is to cast blame and cast blame in the wrong direction, like in this case, toward Dinah. Um, and certainly everything becomes part of the story, the situation that caused something to happen. But it almost makes us feel better if we can blame somebody. Let me, let me do this one more time with adding the one more. Who's to blame? Dinah, who went where it wasn't safe. Shechem, who took what wasn't his. Jacob, who did nothing about it. Amor, who covered up the bad behavior. The brothers, who took matters into their own hands. Or God, who let it happen. Let's just take this moment and pray. Because many of us have faced difficult, some, some horrible things in our lives. And we'll say, we'll just come before God. Lord, we, we come before you and know that, that life sometimes is very, very hard. 
And there are things that happen which are atrocious. They're beyond beyond any sense of good or right. They're just bad. They're evil. And I know that our tendency is to try to find someone to blame. Maybe what we need more is to lean into you and say, we trust you for your love, for your healing, for your redemption. Lord, bring us hope. We, we listen to this story, and, and we know that largely um, it is a tragic scene that takes place, and yet you made sure it was in Scripture because there's something deep for us to learn from it. We've taken one particular angle today about looking at blame. There are probably lots more angles that could be taken to look at this passage of Scripture. And maybe one of the largest ones is that, God, you're not really in it. I mean, you're there, obviously. But as Lisa said, you're not being prayed to and enjoined in this from the, from the very beginning. And when we, when we are without you, or try to do it on our own, it's, it's hard. Yet, it's not a blame thing there either where our, our lack of knowing you or lack of praying or you're not showing up, that's, I mean, it, life can just simply be complicated, so we don't want to simplify this. Pray for anybody who's really reeling and from things that have happened in their lives far in the past or even recently and pray for your healing touch in their lives. Lord, in all these things, we trust you. And it's in the mighty name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Amen. And amen. All right. So next week we'll be taking a look at more of these brothers there. And you already hinted at it. They, they cast off their brother, Joseph, so we'll explore the life of Joseph a little bit, who went from being a cast-off to a rescuer of his brothers. So we hope you can come and come back and join us for that on this podcast. If you want to jump in deeper, go to our church's website, fishersumc.org, and click on the Be God's Light link. That will take you to more elements in this year-long study of the Old Testament. And if you want to stay up to date with the Be God's Light podcasts, we encourage you to like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening today. We'll see you next time. God bless.